Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. One of the things that I love about social media is being able to connect with amazing women like my next guest. Welcome Narissa Roper for a hardworking, highly motivated woman like yourself doing everything possible. You're thinking, maybe if I do all of these things and then when it works out, maybe it was that extra piece of pineapple when in reality, it really didn't have anything to do with that. No, once you get to that point, I'm not even lying. If I would have ate one more piece of pineapple core, <laughs> like maybe this would happen. Or if I would have got out the bed first thing in the morning and put my slippers on and didn't hit the cold floor. Hmm. I was literally at that point. Yeah. When in reality, that's not going to change anything. It's not. Will it help? Yeah, in some cases it does. But at the same time, it's not a deal breaker. It's not going to stop you from conceiving. Right. And once you get that in your mind and say, look, I don't have control over this because we're all here because of God. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit. And hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Fertility fad, fact, or fiction. Here's the latest from Dr. Shala. Can I drink? coffee when I'm trying to conceive? This is a question I get asked commonly. A lot of patients are wondering whether they can still drink their coffee or drink their tea when they're trying to conceive or when they're pregnant. And the answer is yes, in moderation. The assumed safe level is about one to two cups of coffee, which amounts to about 200 milligrams. So we're not talking about super strong two-shot espresso one cup. We're talking about a regular cup of coffee, about a six to eight ounce is considered one cup. High levels of caffeine consumption, which is considered about 500 milligrams or about five cups of coffee per day, has been associated with decreased fertility. And when we looked at caffeine consumption during pregnancy, we saw that levels above 300 milligrams may increase the risk of miscarriage. But it doesn't increase the risk of abnormalities of the fetus. Overall, moderate caffeine consumption, about one to two cups per day, was considered safe before or during pregnancy and has no adverse effects for fertility or pregnancy outcomes. And caffeine consumption has not been shown to cause any effect on semen parameters in men. I often get asked about alcohol. Well, I know I can't drink during pregnancy, but what about before pregnancy? This one is a little bit less easy to say whether alcohol is negative on fertility because there's mixed data. There are some studies that have included that alcohol has a detrimental effect, while some have shown that alcohol doesn't seem to affect fertility. One study observed that risk of infertility was significantly increased among women who consumed two alcoholic drinks per day and decreased amongst those who consumed less than one drink per day. And other studies have also shown a trend toward higher alcohol consumption and decreased conception. However, on the flip side, there's also been studies that have shown no relationship between alcohol consumption and difficulty conceiving. So, you know, for me, I usually say let's play it safe, trying to have few to no alcohol. The reason why I may talk about lower consumption is also because of pregnancy. I do take care of a lot of patients who may have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Many of those patients are not aware when they're ovulating. There is a possibility for those patients to get pregnant. And so no amount of alcohol is considered safe during pregnancy. So I'm usually somebody who recommends to stay in the lower levels of alcohol use. Chronic alcohol dependence in males has been associated with lower sperm counts lower sperm motility, and lower sperm morphology scores. And it also can lower testosterone levels. 
There have been studies that showed that men with heavy alcohol consumption had a longer time to pregnancy than partners of mild drinkers or non-drinkers. Significant alcohol consumption in men has been associated with hormonal abnormalities and has been shown to affect semen markers in males and in dose response. Alcohol abuse is also associated with an increased risk of sexual dysfunction in males and females. It can increase risk of ejaculatory dysfunction, premature ejaculation, decreased sexual desire, and pain with intercourse. I also get asked about smoking. Well, while most women know that smoking is not okay in pregnancy, what about smoking leading up to pregnancy? So we know that children who are born to women who smoke during pregnancy are at increased risk of asthma, childhood obesity, and other issues. And then, you know, pregnancy usually will motivate women to stop smoking. However, smoking has substantial adverse effects on fertility. There have been some studies that have shown that the smoking women were significantly more likely to be infertile and that menopause can occur on an average of one to four years earlier in smoking than non-smoking women, suggesting that smoking may accelerate reduction in ovarian reserve. Smoking is also associated with increased risk of miscarriage in both pregnancies conceived naturally and those from assisted reproductive techniques. In men who smoke, we've seen decreases in sperm density, motility, abnormalities in sperm. However, the data is not conclusive about whether smoking decreases male fertility. Marijuana is one that I'm commonly seeing now as marijuana has become legalized for medicinal use or recreational use in many states. And there is some research that's shown that increase in infertility in women who are using marijuana. We've seen lower sperm counts reported in men who smoke marijuana, as well as decreased ability of the sperm to fertilize the egg. According to the American College of OBGYN, they strongly recommend women who may become pregnant should discontinue the use of marijuana because of the potential concerns for impaired development of the fetus. So in summary, I usually recommend you can continue your coffee use one to two cups per day. We see limited impact of caffeine on men, on male sperm parameters. Alcohol, mild to moderate use is considered safe, but I usually recommend to stay on the lower end of alcohol because there is some possibility that it may affect fertility, although the jury's still out on that. And smoking, I usually recommend quitting smoking for both male and female partners prior to trying to conceive as well as I recommend extreme caution with marijuana use, and I usually recommend to discontinue marijuana use altogether if possible. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you enjoy today's interview. I have a love-hate relationship with social media, but one of the things that I love about social media is being able to connect with amazing women like my next guest. Welcome, Narissa Roper. Hey, thank you for having me, love. Thank you for being here. I'm really glad that we were able to connect and I was able to bring you on the show today to share your story. You are really open about your fertility journey on social media. What made you decide to share your story? So let me tell you, initially I wasn't, okay? Like initially we went through our process and honestly, Our closest friends and family knew about what was going on, but a lot of people didn't know. When I was pregnant with Kennedy, I didn't announce our pregnancy until I was seven months pregnant with her. And once I posted it on social media, it was like I had a flood. When I say thousands of DMs from people, and they were like, oh my gosh, this is so empowering and I'm going through this. And then some of my friends and family actually started chiming in and saying, I've been going through this. And I felt like I was by myself until you posted this because they were like, I really didn't realize how deep in it you were. And I'm having issues having a child. And so I started getting tons and tons of questions. And I told my husband about it. And honestly, he was my biggest cheerleader. And he said, maybe it's time for you to talk about this more openly because clearly, There are people going through the same thing and they might feel by themselves and alone because honestly, in our family, we're the only ones that we knew at the time were going through infertility issues. So 
when I had family members say, oh, we're having problems having babies and this is what's mm -hmm. going on. Like I had this whole conversation with them and then I was like, okay, he's right. Maybe I need to open up more and talk about it because clearly there's a need here. So that was my main reasoning behind doing it. It can be an amazing means of support. Did it end up being a means of support for you? Yes. Once I started posting about things and I found more women and then I found the whole community to the point where I was like, wow, there's so many women going through this, so many families going through this. And then the different facets of it from where we were with IVF to IUI to surrogacy to adoption mm -hmm. to, I mean, it was endless. And so when I basically found that avenue, I was like, okay, this is going to be helpful for us going forward. Because at the time we had had Kennedy, but we wanted more babies. So mm -hmm. we knew that there was more to come for us. And so once I found that community, it was so much more support, so much more available to me in my fingertips. I could like ask people questions. And so it helped me in the end. My goal was to help others, but I got help too. And built relationships, like my relationship mm -hmm. with you, my relationship with all of the other sisters. Like it's insane. The friendships I made just off of infertility, something I didn't think I'd make friendships on, you know, like. You said it's hard when you don't have any personal friends or family members who yes. are going through the process. Mm -hmm. They want to be there and they want to support they you, do. but it's difficult for them because they can't fully relate to no. what's going on with you. Mm -mm. They can't. And I got so many questions just through the process. Like now my family, they kind of know everything that's going on. They're just like, so when's your next transfer? And I'm like, oh, so you're using the slogans and everything now. <laughs> and so it's funny because they kind of jumped in with us. They're just like, well, how many embryos did you guys get? And how did this happen? And explain this. They want to be a part of it. It's so refreshing to have that now and people to kind of be like, okay, my family's into it. They know what's going on. So it's helpful yeah. when you're going through the process. But for us at first, mm -mm. it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. Yeah. So you sharing also helped your family members to have an yes. understanding of what was going on and also probably how to navigate it with you. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately, sometimes they can, you know, they mean well, but they yeah. can say things that can be unintentionally hurtful mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I see that when we first started, because we didn't really talk about it at first. Like we were just trying it and seeing what was going to happen and where we were going. Mm -hmm. And I remember people just asked us, so when are y'all going to have kids? Because at the time it was like everyone around me, like I'm not even joking. My sister-in-laws were getting pregnant. I had cousins getting pregnant. My friends were getting pregnant. And it was just like, when are you going to have kids? I know they didn't mean anything by it because they don't know what's going on. But I think Right. It's just one of those things that if you put it in the back of your mind and you're like, we're going through this process, it's easily brought back to the forefront of your life when mm -hmm. people ask that question. So it's kind of just yeah. like, okay. And so you sit there and think about it for hours because it just bring down your whole entire evening just off of a question. How did you handle those situations? So when they would say, when are you doing this? I would say, well, actually, we're doing this. And then it would kind of open up the conversation. Mm -hmm. So they would say, okay, so what does that entail? Explaining that to them and talking about it helped a lot. And what's funny is it's a very humbling experience. Can you tell us a little bit about your fertility journey? Yes. My husband and I started our fertility journey, my husband's Kenny, in 2018. And we really started because we had been trying to conceive for close to a year and we weren't finding success, everybody, you know, they'll tell you, relax, all these things. And we did everything and it just wasn't working. And so we did some testing and found out that it was male factored and my husband had a blockage. The doctor, after talking to him, said, this is what you're going to have to do. We had our first appointment in January, 2018. We went through a whole lot of trials. We had to save some money so we could pay for it because as you know, it's very expensive. And so we went through our first retrieval. We got four beautiful, beautiful embryos. And the first two embryos we had didn't work. It was a fail. It just, it was horrible. I cried, went through a whole lot. Now I'm glad I can actually look back and think about everything and smile about it because we came out the mm -hmm. other side. 
Right. But it was devastating the first two. And after that, we spoke with her and she wanted us to do tons of tests to figure out what's going on. And come to find out, and it was actually both me and my husband. My husband had his male factor and I had chronic endometritis. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know what that is, it's inflammation of your uterine lining, your endometrial lining. Basically, I was on fire and my embryos were like, no, we're not embedding it here, mom. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I took some antibiotics, went through treatments with that. At that point, started acupuncture, changed my diet, no nightshade vegetables. I was doing no dairy. I was everything I could do. Gluten, no gluten. We did our third transfer and we got pregnant with Kennedy. And so we were overjoyed, had an amazing pregnancy. I had no morning sickness, nothing. It was great. She was born mm-hmm. November 20th of 2019. We waited a whole year and we decided we wanted to do our transfer again because we had one more embryo left and we did our transfer and we had an early miscarriage. At that point, I went through my morning, I went through how I was feeling, the sadness, the disappointment, all of that stuff. But I can't say I was devastated. I was more so disappointed. And I think I had just gotten to that point from going through all that we had gone through to get where we were. And we rolled into the retrieval. So we did our retrieval and we recently retrieved two beautiful 5AA embryos. We had Mm -hmm. that. It did our eggs, did all of that. And now we have two five AA embryos and they're on ice and we're waiting. And now we're in another transfer cycle, praying that it sticks. And that's where we are. It's been a long process to get here, but we're here. So holding on to faith. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry for the loss that you experienced. Thank you. And I'm excited for your upcoming transfers. Sounds like you have good embryos frozen. You're just in the holding pattern, which is hard. How do you handle that waiting period? Yes. What's funny is we did our retrieval and we were going to do a transfer right after. So between time, I decided I'm going to do receptivity DX, which is a test to Mm -hmm. check for endometriosis and endometritis. You actually can check for it. And I didn't have endometritis, but I had the marker for endometriosis. Okay. So I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I started a whole protocol of medications to suppress that. And while I was going through that, I was mentally and physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my husband. I said, babe, I know we just roll into things, but I need a break. I'm tired. And he's just like, well, take a break. So I told my doctor, I want to take a break. She's like, Narissa, that's fine. Stop taking your endo suppression medication and we'll resume when you're ready. Mm-hmm. So I literally took six months off. I didn't write about anything in fertility. I didn't post anything hardly about anything in fertility. I was active in stories on Instagram and that was it. And I mm-hmm. was following other people and their stories, but I took a break because I needed it. Yeah. And it was the best decision that I could have ever made (laughs) taking that break. And so I called her and the end of September and I said, look, we're ready. We want to move forward. And she said, okay. So she's just like, go ahead and start these meds. I'll call them in. We'll take these for two months and then we'll do a transfer. And so that's where we are now. So I have four more days of these meds and I'm so happy because (laughs) <laughs> they drive me crazy. <laughs> they make you exhausted. Mm-hmm. So I have literally four more days left. And I'm so excited. And then I'll start estrogen and then the progesterone. And here we go with the transfer. Yeah, I think it's so important to take a break. But it's hard you have to. to do that, right? You wanted to take a break, but there's almost this element yeah. like you need permission to do it when you're on this journey. Yes. I said that and thought about it. When I asked, talked to my husband about how he felt about it, and he's just like, why did you ask? Because like you're a part of this too. He's like, babe, I'm a part of it. But your body is really going through it. I don't have to do any of this stuff. He said, I've done all the work I'm going to do with this process. Mm-hmm. He said, you have to go through all these shots. You have to go through all these men. You have to therefore then carry the child. So he's like, you don't have to ask me. 
if you need a break, just say, look, I stopped taking the meds. <laughs> right. And we're not resuming until I'm ready. And yes, you're exactly right. I don't know what it is. It's almost like when we start this process, we realize, okay, our body is no longer ours. It's the doctor's. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we lose that sense of this is our body mm -hmm. through the process. Yeah. And we just really put ourselves on the back burner. So we just have tunnel vision on get this baby. Right. And we don't think about how it's affecting us mentally, physically, emotionally. We just want something so bad, just throw everything else out the window. Yeah. And I think it's important to address it because like you said, it affects you mentally, physically, emotionally. Yes. So even in a situation yes. where you are successful, those emotions and feelings can carry into pregnancy. So I think taking the pause and taking the break, it's wonderful that you were able to do that. Yes. I needed it. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. Really bad. It's so important. How did you remain hopeful in the beginning before you were successful and you had undergone some cycles that were unsuccessful and you experienced a loss? What kept you hopeful during that time? So two things, my husband and God. When we had our first fail, I was devastated. And I'm like a lot of people, I blame myself. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? And I remember going through our first fail. And my husband told me one thing, and I, I think it just stuck with me because it just resonated at the time. But he was just like, never get too high on the highs or low on the low. It's all a process. And when he told me that, at first, you know, you don't take it in. You're just saying this to make me feel better. But when I sat there and thought about that, he was 100%. You can literally do everything in your power. Okay, like I can wear slippers to keep my feet warm. I can drink bone broth three, four times a day. I can drink all the pomegranate juice and Harris Teeter. I can do all the things possible, but it's all out of my control. Mm -hmm. I've done everything I can do. Right. So I think it's just like once I got that in my mind and I realized, look, I've done everything that I can possibly do. Hey, I'm going to acupuncture. I eat warm foods. I wear slippers. My feet are warm. I do all of these things. I eat right, exercise, everything that you can possibly do, I've done. And that's all I can do because right. I don't have the last say. God does. Right. And I think when I got that in my mind and I said, okay, I'm leaving this at the altar. I prayed about it. I just thank him in advance for what he's going to give. I think that helped me. And so even when we had our miscarriage and I literally came on social media and I said, look, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. We lost our baby. I didn't cry. And I think it's because I already had in my mind, like God's will is his will. And I've done everything I can do. I'm not in control of this. <laughs> and that's what it is. I can't do anything else about it. Yeah. It and I think once I got to that point and I just let go, I think it helped me not hold on to things or blame myself or go through this. What if I would have ate this mm -hmm. one extra piece of pineapple? Because that's where I was. Right. Like, I missed a day of pineapple. Right. I should have ate this pineapple for this day. I was really mentally at that place. Mm -hmm. And now I can't do anything else. Right. I can't make this embryo embed in this uterus. I can't. Mm -hmm. That's a hard truth, though, right? Because it's hard. It's actually really helpful to be able to just let that go and to know that you mm -hmm. are not in control. But especially for, you know, a hardworking, highly motivated woman like yourself doing everything possible. And like you said, you're thinking, maybe if I do all these things and then mm -hmm. when it works out, maybe it was that extra piece of pineapple, right? When in reality, it really didn't have anything to do with that. No. Once you get to that point, I'm not even lying. I was like, if I would have ate one more piece of pineapple core, <laughs> like maybe this would happen. Or if I would have got out the bed first thing in the morning and put my slippers on and didn't hit the cold floor, mm -hmm. I was literally at that point. Yeah. When in reality, that's not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. It's not. Will it help? Yeah, in some cases it does. But at the same time, 
it's not a deal breaker. It's not going to stop you from conceiving. Right. And once you get that in your mind and say, look, I don't have control over this because we're all here because of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in my mind, when I got to that point and I realized that, and then just other things that happened in my life and I realized why things didn't happen the way they happened. We had two transfer fails and it was when I got pregnant with Kennedy, it was the beginning of 2019. And when I tell you literally a month after my baby was conceived, my brother died. Mm, I'm sorry. And then the month after that, my aunt passed away. Wow. And then the month after that, my dad died. So it was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I, I prayed and I prayed and I said, okay, God, I see why I conceived her when I did. Because if it wasn't for me being pregnant with her, mm-hmm. I don't know how I mentally could have made it through all that walk. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know how my family, because we were so looking forward to her being born, Mm -hmm. that it kind of overshadowed the sadness. Right. And so I think when I say God's time and God has a plan, I really mean that because that experience totally came to the forefront during my journey. And then for my daughter, her birthday is the 20th of November. My dad's birthday is the 21st. Oh, wow. And so it was like just how things fall into place. And even now I sit there and think about it. And my mom even said this because she's just like, your dad's birthday is after Kennedy's. But honestly, if her birthday didn't fall like that, I think we would be more sad on his birthday. Mm -hmm. But now because her birthday is the day before, it's kind of like you're still in celebration mode Mm -hmm. and it just carries over into his birthday. And I'm just like, you know what? God works. In, in so many ways, because you don't realize what his purpose is. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if I would have gotten pregnant with those two prior, I don't know how we could have dealt with everything that happened. It was really, truly, honestly, perfect timing. Wow. Yeah, that's really special. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, you're very connected with your faith. Do you ever have a time at the beginning where you almost felt like did I do something wrong? Is God mad at me? Because sometimes I think people who are religious or into their faith, they may think that they've done something wrong. Did you ever have that feeling? Initially, did I feel like he was going to make that happen? Because I know all of his promises to us and his children never come back forward. So I knew that it was going to happen one day, one way or another. The question that I had was, why me? Mm -hmm. That was my question. Why did you choose me to go through this journey to get this child? And at the time, I didn't have a baby yet. But I said, Lord, when I get this baby, why did you take me through this to get to this blessing? Mm -hmm. And as I went through it, and honestly, when I got pregnant and I announced everything and I said stuff on social media, and then we had our baby shower and I talked about our journey and where we were. I realized that he did that to one, grow my faith, but to grow other people's faith too. Mm -hmm. You know how sometimes you experience other people going through things and their experience opens your eyes to being faithful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it did for me. And I think it, it gave people an outlet and somewhere to go because some people, like I said, they came out and were like, Marissa, I had no idea you were going through this, but this is what's going on with me. Mm hmm. And so I feel like for those people, it was like he used me as a vessel and used my scenarios and my situation and my hardship to help other people. And so for me at the time, yeah, that was my question. Why am I going through this? Yeah. Why are you taking me through this right now? I think it's a hard thing to understand. There's all those emotions of, you know, being angry, upset, wondering if it's yes. going to happen for you and, and accepting, yeah. you don't know, it's the unknown, right? What's the path mm-hmm. going to be? So I mm-hmm. think it can be really difficult to do that. Yeah, it's extremely difficult. And I'm so thankful for my mom, my family, because they pray, they pray over us. And that's their thing. And so I think if it wasn't for their words of encouragement, them saying, read this word, read this verse, read this chapter, it would have been way more difficult. And I think, yes, because I have a praying mom. My husband's mom is a pastor. And so 
she prays over us all the time. If I didn't have those people in my path and with me along the way, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been that easy. It's very difficult to go through it. And especially if you go through it and nobody knows you're going through it. People that do that are like the bravest people in the world because mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine not having that support or having people know what's going on with me because I feel like I would literally crumble. To endure all of that in internally yeah, and deal with it in silence, I don't know how people do that. I commend people that go through this and don't have support. That's really important because stress is one of the most common reasons that mm -hmm. women decide not to continue on with their treatment. So having a support system, mm -hmm. whatever means that is, whether that's family or friends mm -hmm. or you have a therapist or yes. whatever your outlet is to help you with the stress is going to be something that's going to help you to be able to continue if that's your your goal to continue with treatment, then you need to have some type of support mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Did you ever work with a therapist along the way? No. I think because, like I was saying, the support that I have, I honestly feel like I can be most open with anybody in my family or any of my friends. Mm -hmm. So, like, through the process, I'm thankful for my husband. And, and honestly, like, when women are single moms by choice, I have so much respect for them. 100 percent mm -hmm. because i don't know how you can go through ivf by yourself without a partner i i couldn't even imagine yeah. i literally have the most respectful women that choose to go through ivf as a single mom what my heart pours to them because yeah. i don't know how they do that and so for me it was like my husband throughout our process every day he says we're going to take 30 minutes to an hour at the end of the day. And I want you to have the floor and I want you to just talk about how you're feeling. When I tell you that helped me so much. And I didn't realize at the time, like at first I'm looking like, why are we doing that? Like, I'm just going to be talking. You're still sitting there listening. I thought it was the weirdest thing. And he was just like, yeah, like I want to see how you're feeling because I know it's a lot that you're going through. But when we started doing it, and I was exhausted mm -hmm. or tired or just feeling defeated or whatever. And he allowed me to sit there and express how I was feeling. And he's like, if you just want to burst into tears and cry, then do that. And I was able to do it. Oh, my goodness. It was like the best thing that I've ever experienced. Having that open communication with him. Being able to go to my friends. The fact that my friends are on me and texting me. And calling, like, where are we at in this process? What are you doing? How are you feeling? I think all of that helps. I don't have to go to a therapist because I feel like all these people in my life are therapists. I mean, it's definitely helpful when you have a family that's there for you and support. And I love how Kenny's asking you to talk about your feelings every day. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Because a lot of times I think female partners or women, we're worried about unloading. Mm -hmm on our partner or unloading on someone else all that we're going through. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to have that open communication. I love that. So I'm thankful for that. And even then, I mean, there's other things that he does that I feel like just goes above and beyond. So I'm truly blessed to have the husband that I have and just to be understanding and willing to listen and just be there. And some days, and even now, like with these meds, I'm exhausted and we have a toddler. And so some nights he's just like, look, just go to B, just go to B, because I know you're tired. Mm -hmm. And so having that is just so helpful. It's so helpful. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just being able to unload and talk. And if you don't have that partnership, as you're talking about, it's important that you go to a therapist. Right. Or you feel like you can't talk about it because you will literally drive yourself crazy. Yeah, I agree. You need an outlet. Yeah, the anxiety alone to just deal with that, especially after a transfer mm -hmm. or you waiting on test results or whatever it is, the anxiety alone can take you out. So if you don't feel like you can speak to somebody, you need to go to therapy. I always tell people there's nothing wrong with sitting on somebody's couch. It's the best thing you can do. I've gone to therapy. 
especially with like the loss of my dad and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that I know was helpful, but when it comes down to it, whatever you have to do for your mental health, yeah, through this process, do it. The stress doesn't go away when you become pregnant. No, it doesn't. And you still deal with difficulties uh-huh. now going through your cycle again, and you have a child after infertility. It stays with you. It doesn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, period. Even now, going up into this transfer never happened. I still feel the pressure. Mm-hmm. You still feel the pressure. Even though we have Kennedy, mm-hmm. you still feel that pressure of, okay, what's going to happen? Is this going to work? What do I need to do? And you put all that on yourself with this next pregnancy because I'm claiming it. I think it's one of those things where I know I'm still going to be like, okay, baby, like, are you good? And I'm going to feel like that. And I'm going to still feel anxious going into ultrasounds like I did with her. Right. I'm, when I was pregnant with Kennedy, I took over 20-something pregnancy tests because I was still yeah. like just PTSD. Uh-huh. Is she okay? Yeah. You go through that because you've experienced the loss. You've experienced the failures. So it's never going to go away. What kind of things helped you? with those anxious feelings or help you currently? Oh, man, now it's more so I stay in prayer. I have to stay in prayer. I think that's the only thing I told myself. I said, I'm going to start reading the Bible from the beginning to the end because that's the only thing that's going to help me keep my mind focused throughout the process. So I read more. I pray more. I really throw myself into my child, probably just more so than anything Mm -hmm. because it brings joy so it keeps me from thinking about stuff that I don't have control over right and I think that's a lot of reason why I took the break that I took Mm -hmm. because I was like you know what this is starting to take my mind over I need a break I can't just be thinking about this all day long and I poured myself into my family poured myself into things I love Mm -hmm. and it helps so much more and I think like you said you got to take those breaks Sometimes you got to take a hard stop and you want to keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just not the best thing for you because the anxiety isn't going to stop. Those feelings of what if this goes wrong aren't going to stop. So sometimes you, you just have to pull yourself away and take a break. Would there be anything you would tell yourself if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice when you started? What would you say? Don't be so hard on yourself. I was so hard on myself. Give yourself grace because at the end of the day, you're alone in this. There's not a lot of people around you that are experiencing what you're experiencing. And so, yes, you need to give yourself grace. The fact that you're taking shots in your stomach, the fact that you are taking shots in your behind, the Mm -hmm. fact that you are taking medications that exhaust you, that make you feel not yourself. Mm -hmm taking tests, biopsies, having surgeries, all these things you endure, you need to give yourself grace. It's one of those things. Like, and I mean, I know we're the hardest on ourselves because we feel like us. We can beat ourselves up. But you kind of got to step back almost out of yourself and think about if it was somebody that you cared about, right? Would you be hard on them? Right. And if your answer is no, then you need to give yourself that same type of behavior we don't treat ourselves as we would treat others we expect so much more which is really not fair like you said you're going through so much you really need to practice patience it's hard yes but i think it's really really important now we set these expectations for ourselves sometimes that are above our means you set these expectations for yourself and then when you don't meet them in the times that you set for yourself right you are so hard on yourself. I expected we do this transfer the first time and we mm-hmm. get pregnant. And when it didn't happen, yeah, I want to tear you to pieces because right. you expect yourself mm-hmm. to get pregnant. You feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing and our chances mm-hmm. are so much higher. But in reality, no, it's, it's not yeah. that much higher. It's all a, a process. It's all a journey. And I think we set these expectations on ourselves that just, ooh, we wouldn't even set for other people. I know. And sometimes our minds run away with, okay, I'm going to have the transfer on this day. And then that would make my due date this day. And you get lost in the plans for the future. 
Um, it's normal. You just gotta go with the minute. But yeah. it's so hard to just like, okay, it's let's so stay in the present moment, which I think is difficult because sometimes the present moment is really painful place. Yeah. You want to yeah. think about the next cycle because that helps you to just stop thinking about all the pain that you're dealing with right now. Absolutely. You want the best for yourself. So, yes, give yourself grace and live in the moment and just be kind to yourself. 100% agree with that. You mentioned that you did things like acupuncture and changed yes. your diet. Can you tell us a little mm. bit about how that process was and what made you do those things? Initially, when I had my failure and I had inflammation, I actually talked to my nurse. We're still very good friends. She said, have you ever done acupuncture? I said, no. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know what? Maybe you should try it. And she gave me a referral to an acupuncturist. And it was the best thing I could have ever done. It was just so many things I didn't know. Tons of different things I had no idea about. There are certain foods that help with fertility. There are certain things you can do to help with fertility. And so you read certain things, but when you start making steps beyond what you read on a blog or whatever, yeah. it's just a different world you get opened up to. And so I started doing it once a week with her. And she introduced me to this whole diet and it talks about like nightshades, which are foods that can cause inflammation in your body. And if mm -hmm. you have inflammation, they're probably not the best thing to eat. So she gave me those lists and then she said, have you ever had bone broth? No. So she said, you need to try this. I was trying all these things. Stop doing dairy because dairy creates more mucus in your body and all of these different things. So I was mm -hmm. learning so much about nutrition, ways to treat my body better when trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. And I changed everything. I was eating so many greens. I was mm -hmm. eating so many different types of berries. I was doing so many things. But at the same time, I felt so much better. She's on to something. Like, I feel like I totally didn't have more energy. Mm -hmm. Like, this is great. I kept doing that and going to acupuncture with her. And lo and behold, that was my successful cycle. Right. I said, I need to implement this going forward. You don't really know certain things, especially going into it, other than the things that you read. Mm -hmm. And so to have somebody kind of second to what you're reading or hearing or whatever, it works for you. You know, I was doing the whole pineapple and the pineapple core, but then. I talked to her and she was just like, that alone is not going to get you pregnant. It was just a bunch <laughs> of different things that she was saying, but it was like she was giving me the food and then telling me what the benefits of those specific foods are. So it not only changed my processes during transfers with infertility, but it also changed my lifestyle. I eat totally different and it's helped. So I think that was like the coolest thing in the world to me, just being able to kind of step into that world and learn more. And me and her now, we're very close and tight and call each other randomly in the day. And <laughs> it's like, we're just friends. So it's one of those things I made a friendship and it changed my life during infertility, trying to conceive at the same time. That's great. The thing about nutrition and acupuncture, I always tell mm -hmm. patients, it's like overall, like you said, you were feeling better. That's a yes. huge part of it. And everybody's going to be different. So that's why it's really important yes. to work with your own practitioner Correct. to know what mm -hmm. kind of things should you be eating or avoiding. And I think acupuncture is like so relaxing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Every time I go, I fall asleep. Every time. It's funny, she'll go ahead and put them in and then she'll say, okay, she's like, have a good nap because she knows I'm going to sleep. Like the last time I went, I literally woke myself up snoring twice. It knocked me out. Yeah, totally. And it's the best sleep in the world. Oh, it's the best sleep in the world. Even if, you know, there's some conflicting data on whether acupuncture is really supportive for fertility. Right. But at the very core of it, it's relaxing for most people. Yes. So even yes. if you get relaxation from it, then there's that benefit. Mm. There's a benefit. Anxiety out the window. Right. It helps. It's almost like, you know, you're taking the time to meditate. That's really what, what you're doing. Yes. No phones, and no computers, no, nope. you know, interruptions. It's like your time. Yes. Literally you, some Chinese herbs, some nice calming music and your lamp and possibly your acupuncture blanket if that's what you choose even if it's not something that's gonna help you just oh i'm gonna get pregnant it helps you keep your mind balanced which is so important when trying to conceive mm -hmm. and I, I think people don't think about that either being stressed out that's not helpful yeah mm -mm. having a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. 
that's not helpful. So I think that if anything, it helps with your mental, it helps keep you balanced and keep your mind together through the process. Yeah, I totally agree. And improving your diet also helps with stress. There's a lot mm, of mm. research to support that, like you said, you were eating a lot more grains and you were cutting out certain things. And a lot of that can yes. help our mental health and help to reduce anxiety. Those things are all so helpful. So helpful. But at the same time, you can't stress too much, like you said, about that one extra piece of pineapple. <laughs> no. Because then we end up in the totally wrong direction. Correct. Or if I would have ate that extra handful of Brazil nut, look. You can do everything you can, but trust me, those Brazil nuts that you didn't eat and that pineapple core that you didn't eat is not going to start comparing your child. So totally agree. I totally agree. Now, I wanted to ask you, unfortunately, Black women are two times as likely to suffer with infertility and half as likely to pursue treatment. How did you feel this impacted your fertility journey, if at all? And how did you advocate for yourself? As a black woman, and it's still very visible now. I don't see a lot of people that look like me when I go mm-hmm. to my IVF treatment. I don't. Do I have a lot of black women ask me questions about infertility? Absolutely do. Mm-hmm. I think because of, and, and as you know, just the disproportionate parts of care in general. Yes. In regards to having babies mm-hmm. or deaths. Right. They're here and they exist. And it's just something that's always going to be in the back of my mind, regardless of where I am in this process or whatever. I think that advocating for yourself, speaking up for yourself, not being afraid to possibly be the only one that says something or to not be afraid to address how you feel or one, finding a doctor that you're comfortable. Yes. Letting know that maybe you're having issues. I think that that's important. I've been very blessed when it comes to doctors and being able to speak up about how I feel about what's going on. So my first OB, she was very hands-on. She wants to know what's going on with you, everything. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her like my concerns about it. And at first, yes, she was a little bit, I can't say take it as seriously, but in a way, yes, because I was young. I'm in my 20s and she probably didn't feel there was an issue with me or my husband. Like, you know, you're 20-something years old. Right, right. But I think once I really was like, look, something isn't right, and either you're going to help me or I'm going to have to go somewhere else to get help, I think it's like one of those things where she was just like, okay, we're going to do this. Truly, as a Black woman, it's so, 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 so important. I can't stress it enough to speak up if you have a concern. Yes. And if you don't feel like you're being heard, then if you need to leave that doctor, don't be afraid to leave the doctor Mm -hmm. and go wherever you need to go to get that help and to get the answers that you want from your questions and not feel like, okay, I just feel like I'm being ignored. And I, I know there's a lot of times where I've spoken to Many, many, not just black women, but women of color in general. And Mm -hmm. they've gone and said, I went to my doctor, but my doctor is kind of brushing me off. Find a doctor that you're comfortable speaking. I agree. And coming in with a list of questions that you want can help. Because like you said, it's really common that you forget what your questions are. Well, I had some, but I forgot what they were. And (laughs) I'm sure I'm going to have some when I leave. Write them down and bring them in. And you have every right to ask all those questions. I can't tell you how many patients I see who have a diagnosis or think they have a diagnosis of PCOS or endometriosis and they've been dismissed Mm -hmm. or they've been told that, yes, they have the diagnosis, but then there's this disconnect of the patient having no understanding of what that means. So what happens in that scenario? They go online because what else are they supposed to do? Not everybody has correct information. If you can't find a provider that's going to listen to you and answer your questions, and even sometimes it could be your best friend's doctor and she loves him or her, but that person doesn't connect with you. That's okay. Find a person that connects with you. We have different personalities, so we have to be able to connect with our doctor. Mm -hmm. It feel comfortable in the process. And so I think it's that, and I think too, 
honestly, I feel like we've had all these stereotypes, especially with Black women, about, oh, they can have kids. They have no mm-hmm. problems having children. Yeah. All that is a lie. I don't know who came up with this. I don't know why it just kept going through generation after generation, but that's mm-hmm. a lie. There is so many women, Black women, women of color that go through infertility. Yeah. Tons. And I think it's almost like we've made it a taboo thing to talk about in the community mm-hmm. to not be able just to naturally, without help, have children. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's something that started, you know, with our great, 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 great grandparents. I don't know. But I think we've had this whole stereotype of, you know, it should be so easy for Black women to have kids. No, mm-hmm. it's not. I'm Black. And guess what? Mm-hmm. I do what I need. It's just a bunch of stereotypes, one that need to be dismantled and mm-hmm. taken down forever. And I think it's so important to be vocal. Don't be afraid to talk about your struggles. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to look at you any type of way. Nobody's going to view you differently. Nothing. Honestly, you opening up and talking about it is going to help dismantle these thoughts and these stereotypes that are in the medical field yep. and that people actually believe. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Talk about it. That's all we can do is talk about it. Was part of that motivation for you to share on social media? Yes. Yes. Because when I told them I was having issues, having children, they were like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that that happened to. It's so important to have conversation. Definitely. That's why we're having the conversation today. Just mm-hmm. to hopefully spread more awareness and... We need more of this. For sure. For sure. We need more of it. I always encourage my patients to continue to find joy while they're on the fertility journey. Because a lot of times I think we don't do anything joyful for ourselves. We are like, I'm in this process and I'm not supposed to do the things I love for some reason. How do you continue to cultivate joy in your life, whether you're in treatment or out of treatment? I could say... I don't make IVF the center of my life. And it's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. And especially after going through really on loss, like having an early miscarriage helped me in that way, which I think pushed me and propelled me to say, okay, I'm taking this break because it's so easy to consume yourself yeah. with infertility. You find yourself focused on it so much. You find yourself, and for me, it was like, you know, I post all the time. I have a blog, all of that. And it took me saying, look, I'm not doing anything infertility. Mm-hmm. And I'm really focusing on my family. I'm focusing on me. I'm focusing on God. I'm focusing on everything else around me. I'm not going to focus on this. And I think for me now, even carrying into this transfer cycle, Mm-hmm. I don't focus on it as much. Like I literally say, okay, I took my pills I'm supposed to take for the day. I'm gone to acupuncture this week. I'm not sitting there just thinking about it all the time, like talking about it all the time. You have to be able to separate mm-hmm. that part of your life from the parts of your life that have been there and will always be there. So I know like my family, my love for them, their love for me. My walking journey with with God, reading, painting, things I love to do, Mm -hmm. those things will always be there, right? And I want to make sure that I'm living in the joy. I'm finding joy. I'm present with joy and not so much the what ifs in what if this goes wrong or so focused on, oh, I got to take this shot at this time and so focused on that or, oh, I got to eat this because if I don't eat this, It's so important to really, really, really center yourself and focus on those things that really, truly, truly love and care about. Mm -hmm. And don't let infertility consume you. And realizing that though it is a part of your journey and in your life, that it doesn't make you you. Infertility doesn't make me nervous. So no. My love for my family, my love for God, my love for the arts, my love for music, my love for just all of the things that I love makes me who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you got to focus on the most because it's so easy to consume yourself with infertility to the point that you just 
associate yourself with just being infertile. That's not it for you. That's not what makes you amazing. That's not what makes you beautiful. No. What makes you beautiful is the uniqueness of the things that you love, care about, and spend your time doing. And you can't just focus on that forever. Yeah, totally agree. It's so important. So it's a constant reminder and trying to not center that. Like you said, it's so easy for that to become the focus of your life. Oh, yeah. Working at that to still continue to do the things that makes you you, makes you feel like you, because at the end of the day, it's going to help to support your physical and mental health during this process. Yes. Like, don't sit there and say, okay, we're going to do IVF. I can't travel. No, if you love to travel, you better pack up the needles and take it mm-hmm. and go on your trip. <laughs> like, don't live your life like that. Like, my mom always says, this is not a dress rehearsal. Okay? You have one life. Yep. You better live your life. And it's a choice. You can't sit over here and say, okay, I was going through infertility, so I didn't go to Rome. No, you better take your butt to Rome and take your needles with you and go about your business. Don't just let something like that consume. Yeah. Oh, it's so easy, though. It's so easy. Yes, for me, it might be easier to say it because we have our baby, right? Mm -hmm. But I can say I know what it feels like to not have that baby and to be really focused on having this baby. And you have to live your life. Even though you're going through it, Mm -hmm. you got to live your life. So I know, like, me and my husband, we traveled. We did all the stuff we wanted to do. Because it, it was just like, no, we're going to keep moving. And we just happen to be going through this. If yeah. you can, you can't stop living. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here. Where can listeners find you to connect with you more and learn more about you? They can find me Instagram, my <laughs> feed, Narissa Roper Art. Please follow me. I talk about literally everything. I'm very open. If you DM me, ask me questions, I will respond. And I also have a YouTube and a blog. It's called A Bundle of Faith, both of them. So I'm currently working on my newest blog because as I I told you, I took that six-month break. Right. I have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of editing to do as well. (laughs) My blog, A Bundle of Faith, to talk about our story, where we are, Everything I have, infertility acronyms for all the sites you go on and you're like, what is that? Like people's <laughs> talking acronyms and you don't know what they're talking about. I have a whole dictionary on that. I have videos with my doctor on there as well, talking about different things from egg retrievals to egg collections to all these things. My doctor's amazing. I love her. And my YouTube channel where I talk about our journey, our story, retrieval. They can see me in a lot of places. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing. Yes, I loved it. You know I did. I had a great time. And like I said, when we were talking, I am so thankful for you and what you're doing, bringing light to infertility, giving women in the community a voice to talk about their situations and their journeys. And it's so important. It really is. so important. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. The Fertility Journeys Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review or tag us on Instagram at Fertility Journeys Podcast. This will help us to spread awareness and reach new listeners. Episodes drop every week and you can learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys Podcast. I'm very excited for this week's guest, Dr. Kalea Waddles, a naturopathic physician specializing in fertility and functional medicine. She's dedicated to using this patient-centered method to support patients anywhere on their fertility journey, whether they are thinking about getting pregnant for the first time or exploring advanced fertility treatments. Looking at genetics, someone said to me recently, which really stuck with me, that our genetics are the part of our story that are written in pen But our epigenetics is the part that's written in pencil. And so we can do some editing to our epigenetics, which really affects how our genes are expressed. And I think that's so powerful because that tells us that our epigenetics, which is like our exposures and our nutrition and our stress management and our exercise, that all of that, it actually affects how our genetics show up. And that feels so good because we can do something about that. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. 
please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.